When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Abgenommen bedauert. Unsolved Mysteries. deference to people who may still be living, character names in some of these unsolved mysteries have been changed. No piece of fiction is more intriguing than a story dealing with the activities of a brilliant spy. But truth is more daring, more astounding, much more intriguing in tonight's true unsolved mystery dealing with the disappearance of Captain Gerald Neville, holder of the Military Cross and Britain's master spy. is one of London's most fashionable hotels. Tourists, visitors, some arriving, some leaving, pass in a constant stream through the open door. Outside, the traffic roars by in a never-ending stream. The world and his wife are about their business with never a thought that war looms perilously close. But on the second floor of the hotel, 
Britain's master spy glances rapidly up and down the passageway. The coast is clear, as he thinks, and he steps quickly forward to room number 23, raises his hand and gives a secret signal. He opens the door swiftly and steps inside. Oh, on time, Captain Neville. Yes. You are Mr. Churchill's secretary? Yes. Can you leave for Paris immediately? If need be, yes. But I have a luncheon appointment with my wife. Well, she can go to Paris with you. So much the better. It will allay any suspicion. What's the assignment? Russia? Yes. I, I can tell you that much. But uh, you'll get your final instructions from Drebkoff in Paris. There are a lot of things I would rather do than go to Russia. Oh, but this is different. What do you mean, different? Well, this time you're going to Russia at a request and with the assistance of the Russian government. Oh, that sounds better. You've never met Drebkov, have you? No, I never have. Well, he'll hand you your final instructions in Paris. He's conferring right now with the foreign secretary. This time, instead of hiding in the sewers by day and crawling the blood-soaked streets of Odessa by night, you're going to be the honored guest of the country. The honored guest of the country. Had Gerald Neville heeded the small voice of intuition, things might have been different. But the next night found Britain's master spy and his wife seated in their hotel room in Paris speaking to Drebkov. You remember once when you were hunted day and night? No place was safe and escape seemed impossible? Alexander, the Alexander who used to work in Mole Saloon, came to you and smuggled you aboard a motorboat and so to safety. Yes. How think you that Alexander could find escape for Britain's master spy who could not find it for himself? Well, I certainly thank you. That was the closest I ever came to being caught. Gerald. Yes, dear. That man is still watching. Look, there he is, standing in that doorway. Uh, he is probably one of my men. I have had you guarded ever since you left London. You have two of them watching? No. Yeah, quickly, let me see. Just at the corner there. Uh, he's been there since dusk. Uh, spies on our trail, eh? I will signal my men. Pull down the blind, quick. Now put out the light. Put up the blind again. Now I signal with my flashlight. Watch closely. I don't see anything. Oh, now I do. Quick flash of light. Look. You see two gentlemen come down the street arm in arm? And the man in the doorway is moving to meet them. The other man's going to run away. But he will not run far. They, they killed him. But yes, that is what happens to spies when they are caught. But it's cold-blooded murder. Oh, calm yourself, my dear. No, murder is not the word. Execution, that is the word. It's horrible. It is necessary. But the police, aren't you afraid the police will trace this? The police? What will the police find? A dead man without identification. It will be but one more chapter added to the mysteries of Paris. Eh, but come, we have more pleasant than never. Why it is that we of Russia desire you to go there? Yes, naturally, it is a bit puzzling. I cannot go into details, but it seems that some of our comrades have not been faithful to the people. We have not been able to find out who they are. And you wish me to go to Russia to track them down? That is only a small part of what you are to do. We are prepared to pay you a large sum of money for your assistance. Instead of, as before, being hunted like an animal, you will live in well-appointed quarters yet. Uh, yes, uh, pardon me a second, will you? Uh. Hello? Oh, London calling, yes. Yes, Yes. put them on a the wire. Oh, hello? Yes, this is Captain Neville. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, I can, sir. Oh, of course, it makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> Very clever, I'd say, sir. Certainly, sir. Good night, sir. It is very late, and I have much work to do. What do you say to our proposal? I accept. What was said in that mysterious phone call, we shall never know. 
But obviously, Captain Neville believed that the British government had worked for him in Russia and that the government had encouraged him to accept Drebkov's proposition. Neville left Paris with Drebkov, and after a few weeks of waiting in vain for a letter, Mrs. Neville visits a high British official. What makes you think that we should know anything of Captain Neville? Well, I know he went... Yes, Mrs. Neville? You know, I can't say that. He was a secret agent. His mission is confidential. But he received a telephone call. No one in this department telephoned? The night we were in Paris, I I was there when he answered the phone. I'm sorry, Mrs. Neville. No such telephone call is recorded from London to Paris by this department. But he's my husband. You don't expect me to sit idly by and not make any effort to find him. No, Mrs. Neville. We don't expect you to sit idly by. You... you won't help me. Officially, we can do nothing. But unofficially, I will do everything I can to find your husband. But all the searching, letter-writing, inquiring availed nothing. Gerald Neville had disappeared. No one could be found who had seen him get off the train. No one who had seen him enter Russia. No one who had seen him at all. Gerald Neville had disappeared. He was as if he had never been. In just a moment, you will hear a solution to the mystery of Gerald Neville. Ladies and gentlemen, inasmuch as any solution must of necessity be supposition, liberties of time, place, and character have been taken in the solution for which you have been waiting. The scene is the Montmartre district of Paris. Far back from busy streets, lost in the squalor and gloom of Paris, stands an old house. Its shuttered windows like sightless eyes belying the activity in one of its sordid rooms. Four men and a woman stand bending over a table, examining papers and photographs in the light of a guttering candle stuck in the neck of an empty bottle. Here are four pictures of the real Drebkov. Look at them and tell me, will I not pass for Drebkov? You, Sonia, you know him best of all. Tell me. You will pass even to the voice. And remember, Neville has never met Drebkov. But the story I have told you about Alexander helping Neville to escape in the motorboat will convince him that you are the real Drebkov. And now here are three pictures of Winston Churchill's secretary. Look at them carefully and tell me, will Kornilov pass for him? I would say they are the same man. I watched Churchill's secretary for weeks. I have taught Kornilov all his little mannerisms. He cannot fail. I will not fail, comrade. Neville is to have lunch with his wife. I found that out by listening to the telephone. <laughs> and not for nothing have I been washing dishes and playing the housemaid in his home. Uh, but enough. You go, Corniloff, to the hotel at five minutes of twelve. Neville will come to you at twelve o'clock. Now, one more thing. The telephone call to Paris. It must be at the exact moment. We will compare our watches. And at four minutes after ten, you will call Neville. I shall be talking with him. 
And you must imply in your talk that the British government wishes Neville to accept my proposal. You pretend that you are Winston Churchill, but you must not speak that name. I understand. Then our plans are ready. You, Sonia, send word to the comrades at Petrograd that at last we are to be avenged on Britain's master spy. The scene changes to the Russian border. Drebkov's plans have succeeded. And one night, a black, inky night finds the false Drebkov leading Neville to his doom. The two men lying flat on the ground recover their breath after the sharp dash across the open strip of frontier. The false Drebkov whispers to Neville. Remember what I told you. The whole frontier is charged with electricity. There is only one place we can get through. I don't see the necessity for all this secrecy. Your entrance into Russia must be known only to a few. If the man we wish to trap were to learn that you are in Russia, all our precautions would be in vain. Oh, I suppose so, but still I don't like it. You are not afraid. No, I am not afraid. There's no sense in being foolhardy. Mm, it is almost time. Our friends will be waiting. I know the way, so I will go first. When I reach the opening, where it is safe to pass through the wire, I will flash my flashlight three times. Goodbye. I will give him about two minutes. Oh, do I see a light? No, I... I guess I was mistaken. I chewed my nerves are bad. Ah, there goes the flashlight. So comes to an end the life of one of the greatest spies of all time. That Captain Neville was trapped is borne out by the facsimile of a letter which we quote. The date is the 22nd of December, 1927. It is addressed to Mrs. Neville... Dear Matt, your letter of the 13th of December, and to say that it appears to have been written under a complete misapprehension. Your husband did not go into Russia at the request of any British official, but he went there on his own private affairs. Mr. Churchill much regrets that he is unable to help you in regard to this matter, because according to the latest reports which have been made public, Mr. Neville met his death in Moscow after his arrest there. The letter is signed by Mr. Winston Churchill's secretary. The letter demonstrates clearly that Mr. Churchill knows nothing of the plot. Because the report of Neville's death to which he refers was a fictitious report placed in the London newspapers by Mrs. Neville herself in order to tempt the Chekhov into a denial and a statement as to what had actually happened to Britain's master spy. Turn the cassette over at this point to begin side two. Unsolved Mysteries is 
than fiction. The story which you are about to hear is a true narrative, based upon actual recorded facts. Yet the exact solution has baffled authorities the world over. And the case remains, even today, as one of the unsolved mysteries of the high seas. tons burthen carrying a crew of 13. The scene is the broad sweep of the North Atlantic. It is the morning of December 5th. Officers and crew of the British ship De Gracia are about their duties. Mist rising from the water assumes weird and grotesque forms in the pale uncertain sunlight. The captain and first mate are on the bridge, unmindful of the tragedy they are about to discover. All unmindful that veiled in the morning mists Bearing down on them is that which every sailor fears. A ship of death. A ghost ship. All hands on deck. Bring a starboard bow. Hard report. Hard report. Hard report it is, sir. By Jove, Mr. Adams, did you see that? I don't understand it, sir. She fell away in the wind, sir, as though she were the wind. Aye, sir. She acts like a ghost ship. Ship without a crew. Yet she's ship-shape and trimming up and looks. Run up a danger hoist and we'll see if she'll answer. Aye, aye, sir. Run up a danger hoist. Aye, aye, sir. Made it so, sir. No answer from the American, sir. I've been watching it through the glass. There isn't a living soul on deck. I don't like that, Hunt. Give orders to stand by the board. I'm going to board her. Aye, aye, sir. Stand by all hands to board. Aye, aye, sir. And by the board. Bring her about, Mr. Quartermaster. Bring her about. Aye, aye, sir. Our boats seem to be in place. It can't be abandoned. Well, we'll soon find out. We're well in. Lower away a boat on the starboard side. Come on, Mr. Adams. We'll go aboard. Right with you, sir. All right. Lower away. She doesn't look as if she'd been through any heavy seas. No. I was looking at her name, the Marie Celeste. I seem to remember seeing her in New York. I was thinking the same thing, sir. Here, uh, pass me that boat hook. I'll fend off. There's a trailing rope amidships. We can board easily. Up you go, sir. I've got it. Take a hitch with that rope. She's fast, sir. Can you see anything? No ship shape on the deck. Here, I'll give you a hand. Better be careful, sir. It could be plague. No, Mr. Adams. If it were plague... There would be bodies on deck, not below. 
Together, Captain Boyce and his first mate make their way below decks. Not a thing stirs. Not a sound, save the creak of timbers and the slap, slap of water against the hull. Almost on tiptoe, silently, as if in the very presence of an unseen death, the two men search the hold. From keel to bridge, from stem to stern, nothing. Nothing but an empty eeriness. A ship trim as if she'd been rigged an hour before. But a ghost ship. A ship without crew or living thing aboard. All the superstition of the seas is in the minds of the captain and the mate as they climb through the hatch onto the deck and down the alleyway to the ship's galley. Good Lord, look there. They've even left the crew's meal on the galley stove half-cooked. Something terrible must have happened. Caused them to leave the ship in such a hurry. Yeah, but we don't know that they left. Their own free will. No boats miss them. Not anything used to make a raft. How could they leave except by... Except by... Exactly, sir. Except by what? I tell you, sir, I don't like it. It's uncanny. It isn't real. It can't be. Yet it is. Come on, let's hurry. We'll look into the chart room and get off this ship as fast as we can. Room door is closed. Well, it's not locked. Breakfast here, too. And a baby's high chair at the table. And the captain's chronometer's still running. It's ghastly, sir. This silence. This trim rigged ship in perfect condition without a soul. No signs of anything. Oh, let's get off, sir. I. Well, I'm not easily frightened, but dash it all, sir. Here's something that isn't human, if you know what I mean. Well, I don't want her, but we must take her in tow. We've got a note of everything we can enter into our logbook. Boat's all in place. Captain's chronometer's still running. Two watches lying on the skipper's table. Breakfast for the crew ready in the galley. Made a porridge half-eaten on the saloon table. No preparations made to abandon. Everything trim and shipshape. And not a soul aboard. Dead or alive. Right. Well, come along, Adams. We'll get back aboard our own ship. And we'll both feel better. Sixty-two years have passed, and the mystery of the Marie Celeste remains a mystery. The United States authorities notified the consuls in various countries to keep a sharp lookout for survivors. But to this day, nothing has been seen or heard of captain, crew, the captain's wife, or baby. In the annals of the sea, it is one of the great unsolved mysteries. Yet there is one explanation. It is based on the knowledge that Captain Briggs of the Marie Celeste was ill ill mentally, and his temporary mental aberration took the form of swimming around his ship with all his clothes on. It is the morning of November 24th, the morning of the last entry in the Marie Celeste's logbook. The captain is in the chart room, and his wife Mary is on the bridge talking to the first officer. Oh, Mr. Anderson, I'm afraid the captain is going to have one of his spells again. Do you? What makes you think so? Oh, he's been muttering to himself all morning about taking a swim around the ship. With all his clothes on, I suppose. Yes, I... I want you to promise me something. Yes? If he insists on swimming around the ship, will you go with him? If you want me to, I will. Oh, Mary! Mary! Mary, where are you? Here on the bridge. Well, uh, I'm going for a swim. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Calm as a meal pond, and I... I feel the need of it. Tell you what, sir. Let's make a contest out of it. What are you talking about, Anderson? Oh, I could do with a swim myself. And, and I thought, 
Let's have a race, you and me. We'll dive off a midship and swim once around. Uh, yes, that, that's a good idea, Mr. Anderson. A, a competition. Yeah. Ah, but I'm going to swim with all my clothes on. Uh, I've got to keep in practice, you know. Uh, get shipwrecked someday and, and have to swim uh, fully dressed. Uh, can't do it unless you practice. Yes, of course. Uh, I'm game, though. Oh, I, I wish you would. No, 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 Mary. You leave that to me. Oh, by the way, Chips has made a sort of a crib for the baby. <laughs> he called it the baby's quarter deck. Rigged it up after, so you wouldn't be worrying about the baby crawling under the rail and falling overboard. Oh, that was nice of Chips. I'll go below and thank you. Uh, don't be long, or you'll miss the race. I won't. I'll be back on deck in a moment. Chips took baby aft a few minutes ago. He's playing with him in the crib. Uh, come on, then. Uh, we'd better leave our watches in the chart room. Uh, and that reminds me. I must wind my chronometer. Oh, here, Skipper. Take my watch with you, too. I'll go aft and see how Chips is getting along with the baby. All right, Anderson. Uh, be ready for that swim when I come back. Don't worry, sir. I'll be waiting. He's still determined. Why, I thought you went below. I was standing behind the hatch. Oh, let's go aft and see the baby's quarter deck. Oh, I'm afraid. I... I... Call it whatever you want to. I, I have a feeling that hell clangs of its own free will. Now, now, Mary, don't worry. I'll look out to the skipper when we get in the water... Besides, he's a good swimmer. Oh, look at baby. <laughs> Isn't that clever? And good morning, Chips. Good morning, ma'am. What do you think of our baby's quarter deck? I think it's very clever of you, Chips. Me? I've got children of me own. I know what the little blight is like. You know, it, it's just like having a railing around your own porch. He can't pull out. Don't you think, Chips, that the baby's quarter deck ought to be lashed down? Oh, no, sir. Not unless the wind picks up a bit, sir. It's as safe as being in your own yard, says I. But Chips was wrong. It wasn't as safe as being in your own yard. And it was the so-called baby's quarter deck that resulted in the mystery of the Marie Celeste. Out of deference to people who may still be living, character names in some of these unsolved mysteries have been changed. Inasmuch as any solution must of necessity be supposition, liberties of time, place, and characters have been taken. In just a moment... You will hear a solution to the mystery of the Marie Celeste. for which you have been waiting. And so Chips, the carpenter, places the baby in the crate-like structure he has made while the mother looks on. He turns to her as the captain walks down from the chart house. There he is, ma'am, all safe and sound. Can't fall out and can't get out. It was very good of you to think of it, Chips. Uh, oh, here's the skipper. Ahoy there, Mr. Anderson. Are you ready? All ready, skipper. Uh, you be the judge, Mary. Although I know I, I'm going to win. All right, I'll be judge. 
the first around the ship and up the trailing rope onto the deck wins. Then you give the word to go. Now, both of you get up on the rail. Ready? Set? Go! Look, the skipper, he's the way to a flying start, he is. Oh, he's a powerful swimmer. But just the same. Oh! Oh, what the place is? The ship! She heeled over! The wind! We're in for a blow. Oh, the baby's crib is sliding across the deck. No. The ship's carpenter and the baby's mother rush across the sanding deck in a vain effort to save the baby. Again, the vessel heals and together they slide over the scuppers into the sea. One after the other, every member of the crew leaps overboard to the rescue. The freshening wind fills the sagging sails and the Marie Celeste, fully rigged, her ship's bell clanging a sailor's dirge, without a living soul aboard, gets underway and leaves the crew struggling in the water. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.